welcome to Everything's Interesting, the podcast that's answering the tough questions so you don't have to. My name's Justin Blizzard, and I'm the good cop. Or am I? And I'm here with Keith Krepko. And that throws my role into uh, some relief, so I guess I'll play off of you. If you're the bad cop, I'll, uh, I'll be the good cop. I'm the good cop. (laughs) You are the bad cop. Or am I? (laughs) Right. Um, So last week, or two weeks ago, last week we released an episode? Mm Mm-hmm. Last week we released our first episode. Mm Mm-hmm. At the same time, we launched our Facebook page and invited all of our friends to it, right? (laughs) Yeah. We have a combined total of 486 Facebook friends, right? 351 of those are from you. Are yours. What? Yeah. That's the question I have for you is how do you have 351 Facebook friends? I have 135. And for and that's like that's pushing it. Like that's you know like people I haven't talked to since high school. Right. I guess I am the good cop then. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Um so out of those 486 Facebook friends, how many would you guess have actually liked our Facebook page? Um, I'll go with 10%. So, what, 48.6? Yep. 12. We've got 12 Pretty. likes so far. Yeah. That's less than two a day. <laughs> <laughs> Is that good? I, what, I guess it could be. What are we basing this off of? Well, I mean, if we're talking about a pure ratio, that's 12 out of 486. I could name more than 12 people in our immediate family. Or our collective immediate family. Right. Right? Well, maybe that was just in response to the first episode. That's very true. That's why we're doing this. That's very true. Which, by the way, let me say I am uh, in full jammy... Jammy Jam wardrobe. Right. Yeah. And uh, you've dressed down a bit yeah. for the night, too. You're in a, a hand towel that barely reaches around <laughs> and a shower cap. But uh, right. I couldn't stand to be, you know, on the same level as you. So I right. had to one up you somehow. Well, you one downed me. Yeah. You can't be on the same. Right. So you just go down. <laughs> okay. Well, today on the show, we're going to be talking about. Hand towels and right shower caps. And how many of you have not liked our Facebook page yet? Because <laughs> I think that's really going to lead into a lot more likes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to maybe guilt people into it, I guess. Okay. Uh, but today we're going to talk about Enemy. And after that, we will see what's happening on Twitter. And then we will revisit last week's recommendation and then i got one for you and keith will have one for me um but we're gonna take a quick break and we will come back with enemy sounds like a 12 like week for me
that actually came out last year, right? 2013. Um, it's directed by a guy named Denis Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy who directed Prisoners. Yep. Starring Jake Gyllenhaal from Prisoners. It was filmed, you know, apparently directly before Prisoners, which really has no relevance to the conversation. <laughs> Good to know, though. Um, the more you know. And before we really get into it, um, we're, we're going to just give our general feelings on the movie, and then we're going to move into theories explaining the movie. But before we get into any of that, I want to recommend that if you have not seen the movie, you go see it. Um, and the only thing you'll need to do to go see it, by the way, is have DirecTV. <laughs> right. So if you don't have DirecTV, you can... Cancel your current uh, cable subscription. Mail back all your equipment. Wait, or a week. have them pick it up, maybe. Yep. Wait a week for the Directv guy to come. Mm-hmm. Make sure that he stays within his hours. Which, of, which he won't. Which he a, won't. As a Directv customer, I can attest he will not do that. And so you may need to give a few more days on top of that to make your schedules work. Uh, get it all set up. And then you'll be able to watch Enemy. Yeah. Make sure it's not storming or there's anything interfering with your signal. <laughs> but uh, I want to recommend that you go see it. If you have DirecTV, you can run it that way. If it's if you're lucky enough to have a theater that it's playing in, I would uh, heartily recommend that you go see it before you listen to anything or read anything about it. Because I feel like, like uh, with Catfish... Or I know there's other movies that fall into this category, but I can't think of them. But I just feel like it's one of those movies that, for me at least, it's best if you go in not knowing anything about it. Um, So with that being said, it's a movie that is about a guy who possibly has a double. Uh, He discovers this double through watching a movie, decides to... Uh, visit him to see what the deal is and things just sort of go on from there it's a very general synopsis but that's how it goes Um, Keith and I watched it together earlier this week and we haven't discussed much about it but I kind of got the feeling that you were some had a somewhat mixed reaction to the movie after it ended so um why don't you tell me, like, like what did you think? Maybe what did you think of the movie immediately afterwards? What do you make of it now? You know, how do you feel about the about Enemy as a as a whole? Right, because when we saw it, that was your second time. Right, I had already seen it once. So you before. you'd already seen it, and uh, I really, I, I first of all, I realized later that I misread the film, which I don't think is too bad because the film itself is so. Uh, carefully structured and plotted that I think you need, if not a second viewing, you definitely need to live with that movie for a while for it to really unfold and unpack itself yeah. in your in, in your mind. So after I first watched it, I knew that I enjoyed it, but I wasn't sure how much. A few days later, I realized that I enjoyed it a whole lot. And... It's definitely a film that I'm looking forward to, like you, seeing again, 
to really test some of the theories that I have about it. But my initial reaction was one of, of pretty excited, you know, I hesitate to use the word joy, but it definitely made me excited and then yeah. lived with me. It does a good job of making you want to know more. You, yeah. You want to unpack it after you've watched it. Right. You want to know like what people think of this movie. The filmmaking is purposefully kind of obtuse and repetitive in a way that the film lulls you into this kind of daze and then hits you. So what do you think? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned um, the story aspect of it because that's it's it's the movie is more or less an hour and a half long trailer. There's not a lot of story to it. Um, and I feel like the way it's the way it's shot, the way it's scored, the acting, everything about it to me just felt like more or less a long trailer and you're just getting um, and this I, kind of plays into my larger theory about the movie, but you're more or less just getting shots of this story and you're not getting the full story. Um, but I abs- I absolutely love the movie. And mm-hmm. I could not, after watching it the first time, like I said, I couldn't wait to see what people were saying about it. Right. I couldn't and then wait. you saw no one saying anything about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then I couldn't find anything except for, you know, the Slate article, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but you should I, check the direct TV forums. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a blazing hot debate going on there, yeah. <laughs> along with complaining about service. Right. Uh, but I couldn't wait to watch it again. Um I thought the acting was great. I mean, I just liked everything about it without, you know, breaking it down. There's, there's, there is literally not one thing about this movie that I did not like. Really? Yes. Um, and, and I'll, and, and like, like I said, there's a point probably halfway through this movie where, where it starts getting very dramatic and people, and, um, I'll say, um, Sarah, uh, McLaughlin. No, yeah. <laughs> Sarah um, Gadone's character, uh-huh. in particular, the wife, right. starts getting very dramatic. Right. And from a viewer standpoint, you haven't really give, been given a reason for her to be acting that way. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I watched it, that's the moment where I thought, this is starting to get a little bit ridiculous. Overdone. Right? Yeah, because ultimately, up to that point, you've got a guy who's found another guy who looks exactly like him. There's, I mean, yeah, it's it's a little spectacular, but there's nothing about it to make you think, like, something's terribly wrong, right? Right. Like, I was thinking, like, if I met somebody who looked exactly like me, how would I react? You know what I mean? I wouldn't be like, this is the end of the world, or something is wrong, like, these people are acting in the movie. I would mm-hmm. just be like, this is kind of strange, but well, whatever, you know what I mean? So that's the only sort of hiccup I had the first time I watched it. Like I said, the second time I watched it, I didn't have that issue because I had already established something is going on, you know, and that is actually a very important moment in the movie. Um, I want to transition into theories. Our, our theories because, um, like I said before, this I feel like this movie is a puzzle, and almost it's almost literally tells you figure this out, right? right. But I'm very I really am, am really curious about 
what your theory is about the movie because we have talked a little bit about it beforehand uh-huh. and i know that i'm from what i gathered i think we have two very different theories okay. so i would like to hear okay what my you, quick theory not even quick i just want to know like i'm gonna make it quick all right make that's it quick. my challenge to myself okay here we go so my quick theory is at first i misread the film thinking that it was a circle so it was speaking of like a film like last year inside Lewin Davis. I feel like a lot of films have been doing this where the first scene that you see is technically the end of the movie. Right. And then the whole film plays out. Or the end of the story. Right. Right. And the whole film plays out and you realize the actual end of the film maybe is what happened right before that first scene that you've seen. Yeah. So it's just kind of going back in time to show you how this character got to this point. Yeah. And I don't know what started that fad. I feel like it's happening a lot. And so I don't know why I just assumed that this was one of those because it just starts and just kind of starts you in this club, this kind of sex club. Right. And then it goes from the sex club to... A whole nother scene that doesn't feel like it falls right after it. And therefore, it made me feel like this is circular. Right. And the scene logic. after it is Jake Gyllenhaal teaching, correct? Correct. Right. He's teaching. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this teacher does not go to that right. sex club. This right. is obviously a story of how this teacher gets to that club. Right. So the whole time I was watching it like that, only to then get to the ending where... Throughout the film, he runs into a landlord, some kind of superintendent, who's like, "I need to get back to that club." No, he's he yeah he's like a he's like a a bellboy basically. Yeah, because he's like, "I'll yeah. let you in your yeah right," and um and he's like, "I need to get back in that club." And then I realized he was in that first scene. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So the end scene um, is is linear. It's telling a linear story that's not looping back on itself. Right. So anyway, that made me realize that it's not telling a story that's circular in narrative. It's telling one that is thematic, where I think the theme of the movie is looping back in on itself. So that is to frame my... That that's the front porch for my theory. Okay, mm-hmm. you ready for my theory? Yeah. All right. So here are the bullet points of my theory. Uh, the two men, Adam and Anthony, are the same person. Okay. And the whole story is about a man who is cheating on his pregnant wife with a woman. Right. And then decides that he wants to leave his girlfriend and stay with his wife. Right. But in his attempt to keep up a relationship with two women, he has, in effect, created a duality of his person. Right. And he has come to believe fully in the life of this second person that he has created the for The history himself. teacher. Correct. Adam. Correct. Right. That the, the real original so person... Anthony is the original person. Anthony. Right. Anthony's the original person, and he has created Adam, which is interesting just by saying that, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, he's created the first man, right. Adam. Right. And 
now is trying to wrestle within himself to bring these two people together. Now, the questions that I have about this theory, that this theory do not explain, is the scene where Helen, Anthony's pregnant wife, goes to the school and sees Adam. Now, there is a scene, and I haven't seen this again, so I'm interested in what you think. She calls him, Mm -hmm. and she calls Anthony, and Anthony answers. Mm -hmm. In the scene, we see Adam as he just passes Mm -hmm. from where we can see to where we can't see. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't tell, and it has stuck with me as I'm formulating my theory, do we see him begin to answer a phone? No, he's he's already... Um, completely off screen by the time the phone is answered. Okay. So we don't get to see if he has answered the phone. Now, Helen's reaction to this event is hyper emotional. Very. And <laughs> like all of her reactions. <laughs> and in the confrontation, she accuses Anthony of knowing exactly what's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She says that's actually how the scene ends. She says she's accusing him. He says, she she thinks he's seeing some other woman. He says, I'm not. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And she said, I think you do know. Right. That, and now the the accusation is earlier. That's right. Earlier That's scene. right. Yeah. yeah. And in, but in the other scene, she says, she says it twice. I think you know. I think you know. I think you know, or I think you know what I'm talking about. One of those. Right. She says that twice. Right. And that, and that is how the scene ends. Yeah. So so that that was one clue into she knows something about what's going on. That we don't know yet, but she knows with a certainty that I wish I had. I, I don't, I still at this point as a viewer think that these two men are separate. Right. The second thing that I don't know about is the car crash at the end. Right. That potentially kills Anthony and his girlfriend, Mary. Yeah. And at the same time, Adam seems to be with. Helen, the wife. Right. Now, that may be something that we, the viewer, think is happening simultaneously and is not. Right. So, really, the car crash could have happened the night before. He escapes from that, goes back, and goes to be with Helen. So, or it could be in his mind, right? But then, you know, what happens to Mary, the girlfriend? Is she really dead? Is this all just him, you know, kind of killing off this other person that he doesn't want to be in his mind. And the car crash is dramatic enough that it seems like no one would... I mean, the car is messed up. It's messed up. It seems like no one would survive it. And for the whole film, again, spoilers, we're assuming everybody has seen this, but the whole film is stuck on this spider imagery. Mm -hmm. And it really pans in and shows that the windshield has been cracked to look exactly like a spider web. Right. So is that a sign that this is in the kind of web-like nature of his mind? This is all, you know, kind of caught up and has been happening there. Or is this just a visual motif of a real event that's reminding you this is all connected? Right. This accident is connected to something else that's happening somewhere else. And so <clears throat> I don't have a direct theory to answer those two those two points but i stand by the fact that it's all about one man 
It's all about his internal struggle. And I do think based on the meeting with Helen that he has externalized this other character and has come to believe that he is real as if he is a real person, this this Adam character. Mm-hmm. And it's telling that Anthony is an actor. So, yeah. you know, he's an actor in conflict because we also know that he's a failed actor. Right. So this failed actor in conflict has not made it, creates this other life, gets a girlfriend, and literally does become a professor. Yeah. So you do believe that he's living out both those lives. That he is going to teach at some nights, coming back. Do you think the teaching is all in his head? How does that work out practically? I'm assuming now that our theories do line up a little more than... Yeah, they they do. Okay. You know, I, I certainly agree... That they are, I think it's very obvious that they're the same person, you know, with the with the scars, with the interactions with the mother. Um, but it, it, our our theories do line up a little bit. Um, but I'll I want to say I want to start with this. The movie opens with um, chaos's order yet undeciphered. Right. Right. And it doesn't attribute that quote to anybody. Right. No, it, it just, just says it. Right. right? So the the to me the director is is very directly telling you decipher this right I'm giving you pieces to a puzzle put them together more or less right so that's that's how I watched the movie the second time and again I had the benefit of watching it twice so you know I've I've I watched the movie the first time I I gathered all of my thoughts and then when I watched it the second time mm-hmm. I was looking to plug things in right you're sober the second time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so my take on the movie is that first of all it's a it's a fractured narrative and i do think it is actually a circular story in the sense that i feel like the very first scene of the movie um is a continuation of the very last scene of the movie I don't think everything in between follows literally. I think you're giving, I think you are given pieces um, of a puzzle, but I don't think you're given all of the pieces. How do you, so do you think the inclusion of that doorman is he has brought him back for the second time? Like he has asked in that first scene. Cause, I, cause inclusion of the doorman threw me off to make me feel like this is not a continuation yeah, you could look at it as as he's bringing him back for a second time, but I think there's I think there's a possibility that something has happened in between those two in between the moment. Yeah. I guess it's presented in a way that's like the movie is presented in a way that's saying like this is happening from beginning this is the beginning, this is the end. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't like I said I don't feel like you're given all of the information. I think you. I think you're given enough information to figure out what's going on, but I don't think you're given every single thing that happened between the the beginning of his maybe personality split to the end of I I, I don't a relationship. Know, right, right, I don't believe that either, and that and that comes out in the fact that Helen, when he first gets this weird phone call from. Adam, Anthony, when Anthony gets the first phone call from Adam, she thinks that he is having an affair. And 
they say, he says or she says, you know, I think you're seeing her again. Right. So what what I think is we, we actually we, we, we don't get the whole story, but we know that he has had a previous affair. Right. So I think what you get is this is a man who had a previous affair, has tried to get better, and has in his struggle with himself to stay committed to Helen, has created a split personality. Right. And has gone back to so we absolutely don't get all the details of when that personality split happens. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely agree with him splitting his personality to to handle this what I see as a sex addiction, right? That's why he's going to the clubs. To the clubs. That's why he's having an affair, whatever. But before before I go on, this is something I wanted to ask you about. What th- there is a lot of the the one um the one sort of abstract uh aspect of the movie is the spiders. There's a lot right. of spider imagery. Right. There's a spider being crushed in the sex right. club. There's um, a spider. There's a gigantic spider walking through the city, uh, through the skyline of the city in a in a dream sequence. Spider webs. In another dream sweet sequence, there's a woman from the sex club who has a spider head. Head. Right. Um, At first, I thought that was a helmet. Yeah. The I I honestly I didn't even notice it the first time I didn't really I I, I didn't I really didn't even pay attention. You were looking first time elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the movie ends with or like you said, there's a at the during the car crash. This right, the spider the, web. The window breaks up. Looks like a spider web. The movie ends with a gigantic tarantula. So what to you? You know what did the spider? Represent what was that? A, what was that symbolic of? Yeah, that that to me is a little more. I feel like we watched a little tag at the end of the movie on Directv. Yeah, they had a little interview segment with Jake Gyllenhaal and the director, and I found myself laughing because I thought, first of all, Jake Gyllenhaal didn't understand the film he was in, mm-hmm. and I realized I didn't understand the film <laughs> as, as much. And then the director kind of explained it in a very matter-of-fact way that I kind of wish I hadn't heard because I wish I had a better take on it. But if I synthesize, and again, I may have misunderstood him. First of all, the spider imagery, I feel like, is all in his head when it's first introduced. It's in his dreams. He's haunted by it. And I think the image may have been implanted there in that sex club mm-hmm. with that spider being crushed underneath the woman's foot. He latched onto that image and has now projected it onto his life. And so this spider is a potential kind of threat or worry or you know unfelt doom that could happen at any time. Maybe it's the potential exposure of his double life of his two relationships with these two women the very ending where you say the reveal of the tarantula i think it's interesting that the wife the pregnant wife has turned into that tarantula now do you get the sense that she turned into that that it was not something that was in the room that took her for me the spider represents more or less Anthony's desire to end his addiction 
um, maybe it represents his it it maybe it represents Adam. I'm not entirely sure, but I feel like it represents some aspect that Anthony wants to change, right? Or his desire to change. That's why I f- that and that's why I feel like the ending, the very last scene of the movie plays mm-hmm. into the beginning so well because the movie ends with Adam the history teacher who is who is Anthony reformed, right? Adam is supposed to represent a reformed version of Anthony, right? Right. Well, well I think I think a, a reformed, but also a contained or controlled. Right. When you look at his life, Adam lives a very kind of stripped down work, eat, patterns. Sex. It's all about patterns. Right. Which patterns. is what he talks about during his lecture. You, you you also see Adam when he wants to look anthony up after he watches that film for the first time he has to he still has dial up internet like right he is not connected to the internet he has no television because when he wants to watch the movie he watches on his laptop he claims to not want or like movies while at the same time being a break or another side of anthony who is an actor i feel like his pattern of life, his stripped down version of life, speaks to his desire, number one, to keep the two lives separate. They doesn't want Adam to be aware of Anthony. Right. So Adam becomes somebody who does not go on the internet, does not watch movies, he just lives this pattern. But then also that is Anthony's ideal of a controlled and contained, I agree with you, sex addict. Somebody who is trying to control their addictions, what they do is they rely on pattern and they strip down their life to its essentials. Yeah. And that's what they think is going to keep them straight and on right. on the right path. Yeah. So so at the end of the movie, we, you have Adam who has taken place of Anthony, right? In Anthony's apartment, whatever that means. Yes. Um he finds the envelope that Adam had given Anthony earlier in the movie, right? <laughs> yeah. He finds the envelope. What does the envelope contain? It contains the key, the key to the sex club, That's right? That's right. And as soon as he gets that key, so so going on the assumption that the, that the spider imagery is a representation of Anthony's either desire to change or struggle to change. Um, he finds the key. He sees it. His his wife is taking a shower, right? He decides, I'm going to go back to this sex club, right? Which is why he asks his wife if she's doing anything for the night. He says, I think I'm going to go out tonight. While holding the key, the wife in the background walks naked into her bedroom he doesn't hear a response. He goes to check on her, and when he looks in the room, there's a gigantic tarantula that has either taken the place of the wife or whatever, um, but the tarantula is afraid of Adam. Well, th- th- that was my question, was did you feel like the tarantula was afraid? Yeah. Was it... Ready to strike? Be- right, because as soon as Adam appears, the tarantula 
rears back. Scoots up into the corner. Like it is afraid. Um, And so, and then it cuts back to Adam and you see him and he looks sort of exhausted. He looks exasperated, right? He does that sigh and the the same sigh after he watches the movie. Right. I remember that, that kind of like, yeah, (sighs) it's a heavy. But it's almost like a, like, just like an exasperation, right? Right. Um, so to me that that's to me that symbolizes that if if the spider symbolizes Adam's struggle, it's it's grown big, right? It's gotten strong. Or Anthony's struggle, I'm sorry. The if the spider represents Adam more or less, Adam has 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 grown big, he's gotten strong, he's moved back into his old apartment or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So it's big, which is also represented in the dream he has. Where the big spider over the city. The big spider over the city that they both have because after that, or I'm sorry, that's that's a different dream. But but the big spider over the city can represent Adam. The big spider in the apartment represents Adam. But then he's scared because Adam re- ultimately reverts back to Anthony's ways or whatever. Right. He can't um, keep him at bay. Right. And I think you could, and from that interpretation, I think you could look at it as. Not only is the spider rearing back because he's afraid that Anthony has returned, but he's but the the spider is also potentially protecting, trying to protect the wife, right? Because the wife is gone from the shot. Yeah, I, I see, and that's where my take on it was that the spider is the wife. That all right. the all the reasons that you're saying it could be Adam, a representation of Adam. Because Adam has essentially turned back into Anthony with the key. That now right. the spider is taking the place of Adam. That now he has been pushed out of the picture again. And has come into a new form. And is protecting the wife. I, I choose to believe that the wife is now exposed. That she is as exposed, just like in the sex club where they reveal the, they lift the lid off the silver plate Mm -hmm. and the spider crawls out. Mm -hmm. That finally with Adam and Anthony merged into this new hybrid where Adam can no longer keep up his routine now that he's with Helen. Mm -hmm. He's going, he has the key. He is obviously happy to have this key. And he knows where he's going. He's going back to this sex club. Mm-hmm. That she is finally exposed. She has nowhere left to turn. And it is up to her now to defend herself and her family. Because she's pregnant. And so he has pushed her into conflict. And his forcing her into conflict has revealed her to be this thing. That That is my take. That the, that the spider is more about the feminine characters and the femininity of the characters than it is about Adam or Anthony. Adam and Anthony are contained to themselves. He is always dreaming or thinking about these spider images. And I think he has tied them to women in his life because of the sex club in the beginning of the film. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, what, what what's interesting is I like your interpretation too. I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah, and I think the the way that that plays into the beginning of the movie is the movie literally opens with 
a voicemail from Anthony's mom, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. the last scene in the movie is his wife saying, your mom called, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so you have that transition. And then after the voicemail, you get the sex club scene where it's Anthony and... Uh, and then it ends with the woman stepping on a tarantula, which to follow through on the spider being scared of what Anthony of Anthony being back, you know, that then represents that is just furthering that sort of interpretation of now that spider is dead. Like Anthony is back, he's his addiction Adam's is complete. Gone. Adam's gone, his addiction is completely taken over, the spider is See, Killed. I think that's where our interpretations differ. Yeah. I will need to see it again. But again, I see that first scene in the sex club as the most chronologically oldest scene in the film. That the film itself does not loop back to that at all. That that is the impetus of the spider imagery in Anthony's head. That that is what is now haunting him. Mm-hmm. And it is linked in the sex club to women because it's the woman who crushes it Mm -hmm. it's the women doing the sexual acts so the spider comes to represent women in his life his relationship to the women and helps to push him into conflict but when he is pushed so far into conflict that anthony and adam have merged at the end it again reveals his wife i i like your interpretation too but your interpretation takes on that kind of connectivity of the beginning and the ending of the film that right. I that I have come to reject because of the placement of the bellhop of the doorman or yeah whoever. and the, the doorman does muddy up my theory a little bit but but I'll give you some other examples of why I think the spider symbolizes this struggle more or less for Anthony to become Adam to get rid of this sex addiction so um you know, we talked about the giant spider over the city, which I think comes at a time in the film where Anthony's dreaming. He sees a giant spider, you know, a spider that is the size of skyscrapers walking right. through the city. You know, and I think that very easily can represent Adam's growing power as yeah. a as a control, as a force in his life or whatever. Uh, another, another one that I think speaks very directly to it is the the dream that they both have because they both after this dream is over it, the movie shows them both waking up from it and sort of startled by it. But he's walking down the halls of the sex club and he passes a woman that is half woman and her head is a tarantula head. Right. So, I mean, you, 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 so you can read that as, you know, if the, if the woman in the beginning of the movie is Anthony who's squishing the tarantula Right, so you have Anthony, who is the woman, and then you have Adam, who is the tarantula, as the head, and that I think that very clearly draws a line to them becoming the same person. Yeah, I, I would. Or still, some sort of split happening. Right, I would still say that it could be another embodiment of his view of femininity again. Yeah, uh, and and then there's also, of course, the I and I think the biggest question probably in both of our theories is the car crash. I think in anybody's theory is the, like what happened because there is a car crash. And if there is 
one person, if there is one Anthony in this story, what happens with the car crash? And that sort of throws everything, that throws a monkey wrench into everything. Now, I've explained that as, like I said, it's a fractured narrative. So that car crash doesn't necessarily happen at the same time as we're seeing Adam in the apartment. Um, But at the same time, I don't think it gives you enough information to establish when it actually does happen. But when it, but when it, but I've explained it as, you know, Anthony confronts Adam and says, he says two things. When he's practicing his speech, he ends it by saying, he, he says, you know, I'm going to take your, more or less, I'm paraphrasing, I'm going to take your girlfriend out. We're going to have a great time. But then the right. very last thing he says, and then I'll disappear. Right. And then I'm gone or, for your life. And then I'll, I'm gone for your life. So, to me, that's Anthony or you know Adam, whatever, compromising, saying, you know what, I'm just going to go do this one more time. One more time. And, and after this done. one more time, this I'm part done. of me is gone forever. Right? right. And then when the actual confrontation happens, he finishes by saying something along the lines of- I'm a man, after right? That, like, well, he finishes by saying, after that, uh, I'll bring your clothes back, I'll bring your girlfriend back, and we'll be even. Right? Which is more or less saying- it's you know if you're viewing it a certain way, it's saying we'll be the same person we'll be or whatever, or we'll be equal or whatever. Um, so I view the car crash as the death of Anthony, the the figurative death of Anthony, right? And then the spider web in the window after that is is the figurative uh, connection connection. The figurative Anthony has been caught in the spider web of Adam or whatever. Right. It's it's more or less representing Adam has done this to Anthony. Right. It's his mark or whatever. Um, so that to me is another example of the spider imagery representing his struggle more or less to change or the struggle of Adam to take over. Uh, but like you have said, there's the the timeline is a little wonky. It, it's kind of like. You don't know what is happening when. I don't think it's necessarily whether whether we feel that the ending loops around to the beginning. I think we can both agree that what happens after the beginning and before the end is not necessarily a straight line. Right. Right. No, I, I could I could agree with that. I, I think it's interesting to try and treat it as a straight line the first time you see it, and then allow the conflict to push your push your thinking elsewhere to, to, to try and marry those inconsistencies. So that, that, that that's honestly where I am right now. I feel like I'm happy with my, with my interpretation yeah. and, and with the holes in my interpretation, because I feel like it makes me want to watch it again. And therefore I am going to rewatch it again. I'm going to look to try and, uh, fit this into a better fitting puzzle. I feel like right now I've hammered some pieces with my fist and I know that they don't fit. Yeah. But it looks it's like ah it's good enough. Yeah. It's good enough for the first try. Yeah. So yeah, I'm 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 with you. I think I think you bring up some interesting points. I'm definitely interested in watching it again. I'm going to do that as soon as possible. And uh and and try and pay extra close attention to some of these you know, 
car crash and yeah. other inconsistencies of timeline. Yeah, and there's a there's a lot of things. I think regardless of your theory, like I said, because it doesn't give you everything, no matter what your theory is, there's going to be something that's un- unexplained. You know. Yeah. For me, it's the it's the it's more or less the impetus of why these two would meet, which is more or less happenstance. You know, a the guy film? a guy recommends that he watches a local movie. You know what I mean? Like right. That's sort of a long shot if you're if you're banking on that to bring your psyches together so you can destroy the other one more or less. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then there's also the explanation of why did his girlfriend Mary all of a sudden notice a wedding ring indent on his finger? Yeah. You know, where does that take place in the movie? I, I think if you if you establish that when Helen asks Anthony, are you seeing her again? You're assuming that the her is the is Mary that Adam is seeing, right? Uh, or at least that's what I did. Um, but you're still kind of left with this thought of, you know, if Adam, because there are a lot of scenes of Adam sleeping with Mary, right? And yeah. she's not noticing a ring, yeah. a, a ring indent on his finger. Yeah. So why all of a sudden is that there? And why all of a sudden is she noticing it? Well, again, this is this could not only be a fractured narrative, but it could be from the fractured mind of Anthony slash Adam. Yeah, exactly. And so this could be her basically saying... You're not leaving your wife. I'm tired of you telling me that you're going to leave your wife and you keep going back to your wife. That's true. He, though, hears it as, I know you're not not the man that I was with. You have this ring indent. And so he may be hearing something totally different because that's the other thing. Talk about melodramatic. That shouting match in the car, pretty quickly, Anthony feels threatened as a man. Yeah. You know, and you're like... How did it escalate there? Yeah, it escalates very quickly. And I feel like, again, because we're seeing that potentially, again, from the mind of Anthony. So we're hearing what he's hearing. We're not hearing her say, like, you keep making these empty promises. I'm tired of you not leaving her for me. That you would get in any other relationship drama. Yeah. And Denis Villeneuve is not interested in pursuing this narrative that we all have seen and heard a million times before the the kind of straightforward way he's interested in doing it his way right through spiders through fractured narrative through broken minds mm-hmm. and uh, that that's honestly where i take that i don't feel the need to reconcile uh the ring indent because i think we're that's not her true complaint yeah, I agree with that. I, I, it's it's just as you know, it's just sort of the desire to want to explain everything. Yeah, but you know, like I said, I don't think you can with the movie. I think you you make as much sense of it as you can, and there's always going to be something that doesn't fit into it. You know, after the first viewing, it was the conversation with the mother, right? You know, because he he talks with his mother blueberries yeah right and there's a lot of stuff in there that's kind of like and i think that's probably the strongest evidence for these this is the same guy right right um right yeah yeah because she kind of talks as if she knows the existence of both or that she knows that he's been trying to live right well that well that's the thing she because she's she's very obviously talking to adam right right 
but she's talking, but she's mentioning everything that Anthony does. Right. Right. So the acting, the blueberries. Um, she's she's talking about being faithful to only one woman. Right. Um, so right. I think that's your, yeah, your strongest that, evidence for there only being yeah. one one yeah. person. Yeah, that's clear. Um, so that was Enemy. Uh, I think we both recommend that you see it, think about it, talk about it. If you're one of the 12 people that like our Facebook page, you can say something <laughs> on there about it. And We may or may not respond. I will definitely respond. I'll tell you that much. Um but you may not like it. <laughs> uh, so with that, we will take a break and we'll come back with what's trending on Twitter. So we're back with uh, Twitter. So Keith, what is uh, trending on Twitter? All right, time to push our investigative skills of the podcast here and see what's trending on Twitter right now and see if there's anything interesting that Twitter can produce. So tonight, that leaves us with one current Twitter trend worth talking about. All right. (laughs) Stephen Colbert. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up because I was going to say. David Letterman. Right. We recorded three Thursdays ago, was it? Yep. On the night that can't hashtag cancel Colbert. That's right. Was trending. He's and back. I don't think it's a coincidence that when we're recording three weeks later, Maybe one of those 12 was a producer for Letterman. Exactly. Exactly. I like, I like where you're going with exactly. this. Exactly. He's announced that he's replacing David Letterman. So. In, I think he should be like our mascot. Yeah. Stephen maybe Colbert. on the like Stephen Colbert or Late Show Wikipedia page. I would appreciate if someone just added Put some sort in. of annotation for our yeah. By podcasts. the way, are you just talking to yourself about that? Because we... We could do that, right? Wikipedia is <laughs> that's open that's true, to yeah. users. Although those people are like, I tried to create a Wikipedia page for myself once, and it was <laughs> almost immediately taken down. The people that 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 uh, that regulate Wikipedia are pretty ruthless. Well, you just needed an accomplishment, and that's what this is. That's true. This podcast that, now that's gives true. you we a have re- platform. We have to- recorded evidence. Um. So what, what what do you think? What do you think? Did you ever watch Letterman? I like you know I like David Letterman. Um, I think he's can be a really great interviewer, you know, just because he's kind of a jerk, right? Yeah. His his interview with I think Joaquin Phoenix is probably the most f- 
famous one of recent that he's known for. I, I get the feeling, though, that that was scripted. Yeah, I do, too. Yeah. But it's still a really good segment. Yeah. yeah. But I think even outside of that, I still think he's a very good interviewer, which I don't think... You, I think... I And again, I, I haven't watched any of Jimmy Fallon um, on the... when he, After he's replaced Jay Leno. Right. Um... But you don't like it. It's not that I don't like it. It's just that he is a terrible interviewer. He's He's really bad at interviewing It's really bad. Yeah, right? Um, And so that's something that David Letterman... And I also don't watch Colbert. I don't particularly care for the, like... It's the satire? Just, yeah. It, it, it's not just that it's satire. It just is like such over-the-top satire. Well, that, yeah. That, that is, I don't care about satire. I, I'm, I like satire. I do feel like his version of satire is a little too on the nose for me. Yeah. That I can't... I, I guess I'm so burnt out by the politics that even Stephen Colbert can't reach me with yeah, his and it's the satirist. Type of, and it also doesn't really offer a solution which I think is a somewhat of an issue, yeah. but it, it, it's not that it's an issue. It just, it's that because there is no solution, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And it just gets like, it's just like too much weight to bear. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, I, I, I get the joke. I get that this is satire and way over the top. And even as over the top as it is, you know, next week there'll be a real news story that goes Way, way, worse way than over. Him. The, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that yeah. is just depressing to me. Right, right. So I, you know, I don't know how that will work. Um, well, he's not going to bring the Colbert yeah, right. uh, character over to Letterman. Yeah. Right. He's not bringing that uh, hyper neoconservative. But I don't even feel like he's that character's neo. That character. I don't know. I don't get him. I guess because uh, I don't watch him enough either. But I, it's just going to be. Stephen Colbert as David Letter, like doing his own thing. Right. right? Yeah. It's not, it's so, so it's kind of like, I mean, ultimately, I don't watch the late night shows, anyways, so I don't really care. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's what's trending on Twitter. <laughs> so yeah, I found something earlier um, today that was trending, and it wasn't a hashtag. It was just the words Kansas City Zoo. Did you <laughs> yeah. see this? No. Do you have any idea why Kansas City Sioux? The only zoo, zoo would be that trending? comes to mind is that zoo that's killing off its exotic animals. Have you heard mm-hmm. about that? No. Huh? Like they killed a giraffe and fed it to their lions and they killed two lions. Jeez. Yeah. Why? They, Just the... They, they, they keep coming out with like reasons like, well, the lions were for some reason, but people are kind of horrified at what this... I think it's a Danish zoo. Mm-hmm. So oh, okay. go look that up. I think yeah. it's a zoo. And yeah. Well, Kansas City Zoo is trending or was trending a few hours ago. They may have the situation under control now. <laughs> so I saw Kansas City's Kansas City Zoo and I clicked on it. Right. And here are the top two tweets that I found. Uh, uh, update. Kansas City Zoo confirms an unknown number of chimpanzees have escaped the zoo. I did hear that. <laughs> and then the second one was, people urged to stay in their cars after a number of chimpanzees escape from Kansas City Zoo. <laughs> and I just really liked that imagery. Right. It makes you wonder how they escaped. You know, like, yeah. I know chimpanzees are... Uh, 
smart, but it seems like two closed doors might be enough of a barrier to stop chimpanzees from getting out. Yeah. You know, yeah. right? Like maybe they could open a door, but it seems like that that would be enough. Like did somebody just leave doors leave door open? open? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, chimpanzees are smart. Who knows? Maybe they over maybe there was like a one or two workers and they were overpowered. Maybe it was like a jailbreak. I hope it was like a jailbreak. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh that was uh what was trending on Twitter. Um, we're going to take one last break, and when we come back, we will discuss last episode's recommendation and this week's new recommendation. So in our last episode, or the first episode, I recommended that you check out Pitchfork's cover article on Mac DeMarco. Yep. And you did. Yep. So twice. Did, twice. So what? Did, wow, I've only read it once. Well. So what did you think? First, does Pitchfork always use those interactive photos? I don't know, but profiles? I like that. I thought it was no. neat. I thought it was neat too, yeah. and I liked it. And I just didn't know if that's what they do on their profiles that they always do those in- interactive. Yeah, this was the first one that I that I actually I know that they've been doing cover stories like this for a while now. Yeah, but this was the first one that I actually checked out. And each, so you you know, you just scroll through, but each one has a more or less. It's more or less like a GIF, I guess. Yeah, but it's just as a little interactive image feature. Yeah, that's right next to the text of the article. Right, and I, I like the fact that when they introduce his girlfriend, all of a sudden, there's a picture of right. Mac DeMarco and his girlfriend. And yeah. I go, oh, that's who they're talking about. Yeah. So I, I thought that was interesting, first of all, just as a as a piece of kind of um, aesthetic beauty. Yeah. It, it was nice. It was nicely laid yeah. out, like the font. I like the interactive pictures. In terms of the article itself and, and in terms of Mac DeMarco, I think we both agree that we're big fans of Mac DeMarco, his music. The one thing that struck me about his personality, which is bizarre, but it's also <laughs> seemingly like in what you expect a kind of quote unquote rock star to be like, you know, kind of out there coming at life a little differently than everybody else, living a lifestyle that you can't really understand and not because it's so like excessive, but because it's just so different. Well, it's almost the opposite of excessive. Yeah. Like, it's like, I don't know why I can't think of the word now, but it's like borderline disgusting. <laughs> well, well, but borderline disgusting, but also there's this, you know, working a nine to five, I can't relate to that lifestyle. Yeah. I can't relate to, in the same way that, you know, I feel like in rock stars, it it either goes, I'm so wealthy that I'm spending so much money that you can't even think about what I do day to day. It's so 
other than you'll ever be able to experience. Or the artist is so kind of bizarre that their lifestyle is somehow, again, unreachable and recognizable, but not because of excess, but because of eccentricity. You know, it's like Mac DeMarco is filthy rich on eccentricity, whereas Mick Jagger is filthy rich on money. And both of them, though, end up operating in the same way of like, I don't understand how either of these people live. You know, I don't understand going to the laundromat with my girlfriend to play on a pinball machine. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the, the, there were two things that really struck me about the the article. The first one was how he lives, which like I said, is the description I got from Pitchfork is it's disgusting. Like, yeah. And that seems to be disgusting by choice. Like, I don't think he's making a ton of money, but he's obviously making enough to have a apartment in Brooklyn. Yeah, well, I I read a follow-up article with him where he bought his own pinball machine. Oh, okay. And he said for about like $3,000. Right, but he's also like purposefully choosing not to shower for weeks on end. And chain smoking. And and yeah, and chain smoking in his small bedroom. Yeah. You know, so yeah, a lot of that is just these are the eccentricities of this guy. Right, but but is it is it of a guy? I guess it is of a guy. I was gonna say like, is it of specifically a musician, like a musician living up or down to what's expected of a you know kind of rock? Yeah, if it wasn't Mac DeMarco, I would exactly more or less agree I, with that point. But I think this is just if he wasn't playing music and just him, playing video games, he, he would still be, be living doing in the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, but the other thing that really uh, that really struck me about the article was th- when he starts talking about how frustrated he was with his record label, yeah, because they made him include a song so, that was yeah. quote unquote radio friendly. And and before the I had even read the article, I had talked to you about um, hearing a version of that song, which was more or less just an acoustic demo, and. Liking it. And liking it. Liking liking the acoustic demo of it, but but not feeling like it was a actual like studio recorded or like uh, album mastered track. And right. then hearing that actual track that he's talking about and feeling like it just doesn't fit on the album at all. Yeah. Um and not I don't dislike the song. I don't think it's a bad song, but I, I first and foremost don't think it fits with the rest of the album. And I just, it, I don't particularly care for it. I, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think the lyrics are that interesting, you know, and, and most of his lyrics are very simplistic, but the lyrics to this song are almost like simplistic to a cliche, maybe some of them are. Yeah. I just, I just don't care for the song. And so I was, I was really intrigued when I saw that, that had been forced on him and he was really upset about it. And it, but it also, and then it also spoke to me like, here's this independent label captured, captured tracks. They've got a lot of really respected artists. Um, and they're, a you know, highly respected independent label. And yet they're still, you know, you know, they at least have one practice that a lot of people 
vilify major labels for, which is making them record a song that's radio friendly that they don't want to record. Well, yeah, and he kind of talks about when he stops in and everybody's happy. Yeah. Right? Everybody's happy because the album seems to be complete. Right. They're, they're about to release it. It's getting a lot of buzz. It's getting a lot of buzz, and they seem happy. And I think there's a line, if I remember from the Pitchfork article, where the guy's like, yeah, it went really well, but then Mac DeMarco kind of on leaving is kind of like, you know, it's not always like that. Or, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, then, and then the guy from Pitchfork flashes back to like his last album where I guess it wasn't as celebrated or they were in more conflict over what they wanted the album to yeah. sound like. And it's so that, yeah, that to me was another insight that's, that was interesting. Cause like you say, you think of the uh, indie label idea and you're like, Oh, that's it, man. Yeah. Artistic all, freedom. The freedom. Right. And then you hear Mac DeMarco and he's like, Nope, they, they need to make money too. Yeah. Like everybody needs to make money. That's the bottom line, and you need to be radio friendly. But I, I also wonder, like, Captured Tracks, what's their business model? I mean, Mac DeMarco is never, you know, like, are th- is their highest hope for him to get on a Coke commercial? Like, right. what what are they looking for? And what radio, like, what has replaced radio play? I think Pitchfork, he kind of mentions that a little bit too, right? Like, what what constitutes buzz in the industry is kind of blogs right and how many blogs mm-hmm. you're, you're getting featured mm-hmm. on and and whatever i guess that's the, the the new sign of success but yeah i always wonder like what is captured tracks going to do with that single have you heard any like yeah i i follow mac DeMar- i haven't seen like captured tracks tweet tweets out like the new single yeah from mac DeMarco. exactly and they've released two singles from the <laughs> yeah, album and none of them are that song that song yeah so why why push what in the new model begs for this pop single, like, yeah, I who's just, clamoring for it? Yeah, it, it was strange to me, and I think, and that's the thing. It's like with with Mac DeMarco is he's so strange. I, he's not that strange. He just is kind yeah, of he's, he's just a, kind of a goofball, right? Right, right. It, he doesn't come off as like bizarre, right? Or right. you know, it's not like he just seems like this. This is just like a goofy kid, yeah. right? Um, and it's like that's if if. You know, if you've watched any of his live performances, like he can't get through a performance without doing a goofy voice right. or whatever. And it's like you're either going to be able to market that or not. I don't think a song is going to yeah. change that. Yeah. But what it really made me think of was the Future Islands performance on David Letterman. And it's like if they can if if they can make that work on David Letterman and that view getting millions of views, either for Either because it's just as a strange performance or because people just really like that band. Like, I don't see any problem with throwing Mac DeMarco on David Letterman or Jim or uh, Jimmy Kimmel or or, uh, Jimmy Fallon and just letting him perform like, you know, uh, Salad Days or Passing or Passing Out the Pieces or any of the songs except for the one they made him record on that album. Yeah, it just was it's it's just as like. It that that was what really hooked me about that article. Was yeah. that was that sort of that was the one thing. I think that was the one thing that I really wasn't expecting about the article because you kind of expect this guy to live a different lifestyle. You're expecting all of this stuff, mm-hmm. but then to to hear that is what really caught me off guard. So that's why I recommended it. Um, yeah, but I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I did. Um, 
So, uh, what do you have for me? Okay. So, I have for you uh, something that I'm interested to talk about. Maybe next time we can talk about Saga. We're, we're both kind of graphic novel fans. Yeah. And very you know, limited. My scope is very limited when well, it comes yeah. to graphic novels. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've joked with you that I do feel like if somebody just saw my graphic novel collection, they'd think I was a psychopath. Right. <laughs> they'd be terrified of yeah. me. Uh, but I heard about this graphic novel, and this is from one of the guys who writes one of the weirdest graphic novel series that you and I read um, called Manhattan Projects. Right. Which. I don't easily recommend to anybody. Yeah. And is not a intro to anything in terms of story or graphic novels. It's it's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, but he has another series going on that he's writing called East of West. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got interested. I honestly don't even know why, but... but what interested me first but what got me um intrigued was that just the cover looks like a western Mm -hmm. and i love westerns yeah and i thought east of west sounds western and honestly i went to our local uh comic book store Mm -hmm. picked it up and never even opened it i just i think i thought i'm committing to this idea yeah the manhattan projects is weird i'm I just knew I wanted to read it. Yeah. First page is basically like, this is not a Western. (laughs) (laughs) This is, I've made a horrible mistake, uh, but I'd already purchased it. And it ended up being something obviously completely different, just like Manhattan Projects is. It also kind of folds in history in the same way, like historical figures in slightly the same way. That uh, Manhattan Projects does, but I read it and actually ended up really enjoying it. Yeah. It's really bizarre, but that's my recommendation for you. So I brought over the first volume of East of West stories. Awesome. So you can borrow this and read it. Yeah. And then next time, maybe we can discuss your your thoughts on uh, East of West. Yeah, good. I'm excited. That's uh, Jonathan Hickman, right? Is that his name? Yeah. Th- this is Jonathan Hickman. Um, and then two other people are credited. I'm not sure which one's with story and which one's with art. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nick Dragoda is the artist. And then colors by Frank Martin and letters by Russ Wooten. So okay. it's like a full team, man. Yeah. Well, good. I'm excited. Yeah. Jonathan Hickman's East of West. Here you go. Thank you. I'm fake sliding it over to you right now. All right. Well, that does it for this week of uh, Everything's Interesting. Uh, The music for the show is provided by Johnny Hawaii and Waylon Thornton. And uh, you can find links to the to the specifics of that in our in the description for the show. Um, but if you want more from Keith, he is on Twitter. Keith, you are That's right. Um, things come right, like the direction at things come right on Twitter. And yep. I am at Blizzard. On Twitter. 
Nine. That's nine Zs, nine. if you didn't uh, catch that from the pronunciation. Uh, so thanks for listening, and we will see you in an indiscriminate amount of time. something is wrong like these people are acting in the movie i would just mm-hmm. be like this is kind of strange but well, whatever you know what i mean and, and you're kind of always on the hunt for people like you because you're always <laughs> searching your name i feel like i feel like you are made for this movie <laughs> that's, that's a good point and you know what i may edit all of this out but it's interesting to, I, because i have recently been emailing the musical the musician justin blizzard, blizzard because he disappeared right like in 2011 he completely disappeared and so i since so i was like i still have his album right and i just want to know like what happened right so i've been emailing where's him the back follow-up right exactly like what's going on why did you, all of your music disappear why did your website disappear all of that um but anyways, and he answered me, right? So he's um, good. Yeah, he's doing all right. I, apparently, like, the company that was hosting his... It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because he also deleted, like, all of his Facebook stuff. He deleted all of his MySpace stuff. But then his reason was that the website company that was hosting all of his stuff uh, went out of business. Which is a little, you know, that's kind of shaky. He's like, mourning. Right. He's in like, mourning. You could still leave your your Facebook and MySpace stuff up, right? Right. You know what I mean? Right. So anyways, I, you know, I didn't push it. I, you know, we emailed up and I was just, and I was like, I want to know what is the inspiration for this stuff. Right. Um, so he's got, um, can you get a clearance to use his music for this podcast? <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll email him. <laughs> yeah. I know him. Yeah. You know, him. Um, so he's got, you know, his, maybe you so are he's, got him. A, he's got a six just a quick breakdown of Justin music, Justin Blizzard's music, right? right? He has a six song EP and it's gospel music more or less. Right. But the, the last song is called PBJ. Right. And the chorus is thank you, Lord for peanut butter and jelly. Thank you, Lord for hot dogs and chili. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. it, and it's like, it's like, it and the music itself is like brilliant. I, I really don't even know how to explain it. He he described it as saying he's very heavily influenced by eighties and nineties music, right? So I guess whatever that means to you, that's what his music sounds like. But he sings like he sings like like very traditionally, right? right. So it's like Thank you, Lord, for peanut butter and jelly. Right. That's how he sings. I shouldn't be laughing because I feel kind of... I'm not making fun of this guy's music, right? Absolutely not. Right. You've bought his... I have bought... I literally bought his album. You bought his album. And then he has another song where the chorus is... Or the entire song is just about who washes Jesus' laundry, right? And so the mm-hmm. song is just, you know, like... People want to know. Yeah. His song is just like, is it Mary? Is it Judas? Is it so-so? And there's like... Who does your laundry? <laughs> like that's the chorus or whatever. <laughs> right? So I'm like, 
So I want to know what is going on with this guy. Yeah. Right? Um, his music has disappeared. And not only that, it's about these, like, so I emailed him and I was like, is this all just like satire of worship music? Or is it like, were you curious about like the mundanity of Jesus's life? Is that why you're singing about who does his laundry? You know, are you singing about peanut butter and jelly? Is because it's just as like as direct as you know, thank you God for the simple things in life. Yeah, right? and that's what it is. That's all it is. He's just like, yes, that's what it is. I'm singing about. You know, I was just interested in who did the laundry for Jesus. Like, I was just sort of interested in the the mundanities of that. Yeah. I was just singing to thank him for the simple pleasures in life, right? 